Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So, it's the first Sunday in the season of Lent. And if you've read the front of your bulletin, you'll know that as part of the season of Lent, we'll be going through six marks of discipleship, or six spiritual practices crucial, crucial to following Jesus. So each week, the sermon's going to be on the practice, and following worship, like I said earlier, we'll have a little short mini-seminar on each of them. So the seminar will be the how-to portion, and the practical thing, while the sermon will be the more theological thing about hearing why these practices are good news. So I invite you to listen to the sermon for the what and the why, and then to stick around the service to find out about the how. Pretty simple, I think. But the choir began the service by singing, Sweet are the prayers of a friend, because the first practice on the list is what we're going to call spiritual friendships. There are other ways to say it. You could say Christian community, or you could say koinonia, if you're a Greek language nerd, uh, possibly like me. Uh, but whatever we call it, it has to do with human beings relating to one another in ways that are more than superficial, ways that are more than just surface level. This is why I prefer the term friendship over relationships, because it's simply a deeper word with deeper meaning. And in that way, it's like other relationships, like with family, friends, and coworkers. But it's different in that it's explicitly spiritual. It's different in that God, the divine, the explicit source, is the explicit source of these, and center of these relationships. It's God, it's the Holy Spirit, which makes the glue which is the glue that makes these different kinds of relationships possible. So you could say sweet are friendships, but even more so are friendships imbued with the love and grace of prayer. This kind of deep spiritual friendship is crucial to a Christian understanding of the world and human life. You might even say, which I do say, that you can't have Christianity without spiritual friendship in some fashion. Which may or may not be a strange thing to hear because North American Christianity, especially of the more evangelical variety, has put so much emphasis on the individual. And there's no issue, of course, having a personal relationship with God. This is part and parcel of the spiritual life, but it misses so much of the biblical story and so many different dimensions of faith. The story of the Bible is a communal, because the story of the Bible is a communal story. From beginning to end, it's about interrelatedness. Or in another word, friendship. We're beginning with this practice because it's where the Bible begins. The Bible begins with the creation of all things, and then in chapter 2, there's the creation of one human being. Adam, which isn't a name so much as a label, 
Adam means earthling or human, kind of humus. humus. One person's created, then God says it's no good for this earthling to be alone. Let's create him a helper as his partner. So God makes all sorts of animals, one after the other. You know, you get a fish, you get an owl, you get, you know, termites and the like. And then God sort of parades them by Adam, one after another. But none of them are suitable as a companion for him. Maybe it's a lack of opposable thumbs, I don't know. Maybe there were a few monkeys in there, but I don't know. So when Adam goes into a deep sleep, God extracts a rib and then fashions a woman out of him. And boom, Adam is no longer lonely. It says that Adam approves of this new companion, this new friend. So Adam and Eve aren't simply the pattern for the first married couple. There's no babies at first. There's no prenup. Thank God. Maybe they needed one. I don't know. Maybe Adam needed one. Maybe Eve needed one. Anyway. There's no marriage counseling. Maybe they would need that after. They're the paradigm for humanity in general. They're a symbol for humanity as a whole. And humanity is set forth as companions to one another. Sharing life and helping one another through it. That's how human life is supposed to be. You can't have a deeper friendship than that. They're just friends hanging out harmoniously, keeping the garden with God, the very first friend. And of course, this first friendship is the source, also the source of the first betrayal. It's the site of the first alienation and the first broken relationship. There are tons of trees and tons of fruit all over the garden that Adam and Eve can pick from, all except for one, one that God warns if they eat it, if they eat it, they'll get sick and they'll die, which is all fine until a snake whispers into Eve's ear telling her that God's just being greedy. God doesn't want them to eat that one fruit because then they'll become like God and, you know, God will get jealous. Eve eats, and Adam doesn't at first, but he doesn't need much convincing. And after that, life changes entirely. When they're found out, you know, Adam blames Eve, you know. Eve blames the snake. Nobody trusts anybody else. Guilt and discord edge out love and harmony. Friendships require trust. And that's the very first thing to go. Adam and Eve don't trust God, so they push themselves away from God. Then they blame each other and they push away from each other. Poof. No more garden. They're out. No more harmony. No more deep friendship intended by God. There's something about us 
and in our history as human beings that pushes against this kind of intimate, trusting relationship with God and each other. In that sense, the story of Adam and Eve is less about history, what happened in the past, than it is about us as we are, our human nature. Their world is the world that we live in. Our lives are characterized by fear, judgment, loneliness, and betrayal. Small-scale, one-on-one, and large-scale, involving armies, nations, identities, and people. Instead of the universal, intimate, trusting love and friendship that we're made for, and, you know, Three Dog Night once says, one is the loneliest number, and that is the fact of human existence. Two can be as as bad as one. It's the loneliest number since the number one. Yeah, I got one laugh out of that. That was great. As long as one person, two. You guys aren't going on my, my, my naughty list, so good. And while it's been like this from day one, or at least day two, according to the biblical narrative of humanity, more or less, we have our own particular brand and flavor in the modern world. While we may live at a time where we're connected with people around the globe, we can see videos in Nigeria, we can Skype with family in China, on a one-on-one level, we're becoming more and more isolated. Someone once said that we're all alone together. We're all sitting in our own homes, connected, but isolated. Plugged in online, but isolated at home. And where traditional societies had all kinds of social and family networks, we see ourselves primarily as individuals first and foremost. We move all around the place. Globalization moves jobs. Local communities become anonymous places. But we still want those deep relationships. In a Princeton study of North American relationships, the sociologist Robert Wuthno wrote this. Most people seem to believe at some level that this self-centered individualism is no way to live. They may not have the security of a tight-knit neighborhood, but they want it. They may not enjoy the comfort of a warm family, but they wish they could. They value their individual freedom, but go through life feeling lonely. They desire intimacy and wonder how to find it. They cling to the conviction that they have close friends who care about them, but they frequently feel distant and alienated from these friends. And finally, they worry what would happen if they were truly in need. This sense of loneliness makes sense. Because according to scripture, according to that first story, we're created for relationship. We long to be known by other people even though we actually push back against it. It's something that's missing. And that thing is friendship in the broadest, deepest sense. I mean, it's missing. It's something that we long for, that we push against. But I suppose the good news is that 
the whole rest of the Bible following Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is all about God's active work to mend this broken friendship. Even though we naturally push against it, God never stops pushing against this. God never ceases breaking down the alienation at the heart of human life. You notice that in the Bible, it's not stories of individuals, but individuals as parts of communities. God always calls people as parts of a community. Noah and his family, Abraham and Sarah, who are called to be parents of a great nation through whom the world will come to know God's love and reconciliation. Moses is busted out of Egypt with Israel. I mean, he could have just left. I mean, he came back, actually. Israel, who God calls to be a distinct people. The Ten Commandments being the constitution for a new community whose treatment of each other is to be a beacon of the world. The Old Testament really is all about reigniting the fire in humanity's initial broken friendship. Over and over and over again, failure after failure, God simply keeps at it. And so when we come to the New Testament, even when God sends a single human being in the form of Jesus, when God walks in the garden again in the flesh, so to speak, the first thing Jesus does is gather a community of disciples. And following his death and resurrection, God's spirit gives birth to a new community of friends called... Does anybody know what this community is called? I'll, I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with lurch. Perch. Search. Purple. I'll give you a hint. In Greek, it's ecclesia. It's church. It's church. Jesus, the perfect expression of God's love and friendship for humanity, calls a people called church, and he calls them his friends, and he commands them to love and befriend each other and to lay down their lives in the same self-giving way that Jesus does for them. And then we hear in the book of Acts that these are people who share everything. They pray together. They eat together. They share all things in common so no one is in need. It's a sign. It's a signal of God's presence in their midst. That's friendship, the deep friendship of the friends of Christ. A friendship so deep that they call themselves a body. A community of friends where the divisions between nation, race, gender, background, social class, etc., 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 you name it, can no longer pry them apart again. In Christ, the new Adam, each person is set, reset, rib-like, back into the same body again. 
from beginning to end. God's power, God's presence, God's love, and God's healing. These are all found most fully, not as individuals, but they're found in sacred community. Salvation is a social thing. And that's the church. A community that fosters spiritual friendships. A vehicle that God uses to mend our social brokenness, to heal our loneliness, and reconcile us with one another. It's why we exist. It's our reason for being. That's us. Or at least the image of the church we're intended to grow into. And of course, the church doesn't always do that well. We have all the ingredients. We have a regular gathering. We have prayer. We have a sacred book. We have a sacred story. We have people whose hearts are so often shaped by grace and love. We have cookies and coffee. We have friendships, even spiritual ones that have lasted for decades. Lonely world. We got what you need. But the truth is that the church is made up of human beings just like any other institution. We have the same problems. Where God is constantly, persistently reaching outward, making new friends, we just as easily keep to ourselves and our old ones. Our greatest asset an established community of friends becomes our greatest obstacle in cooperating with God's grace in the lives of new and different people. God, who is uninterested in the number of bums in pews, is far more interested in creating more deeper relationships and ultimately intertwined lives. Our natural inclination is to push against this kind of deep friendship like everybody else. Ultimately, though, the practice of spiritual friendship is simply about giving up on our resistance to God's grace. To let our hearts be pulled outwards because we know according to the scriptures that's what God is doing all the time pulled outward to the next person next to me in the pew. The person at the other end of the sanctuary who I've seen a bunch of times but don't know their name. In fact, they told me their name, but I just call them, hey, you. To the person in our lives who we know aches with loneliness and sadness. And you can just keep going out and out and out and on and on and on. God has already drawn us together as a community. And God's already giving us every opportunity we need. It's only really a matter of giving in, reaching out, and taking it. And going deeper. God is already at work. God's already brought us together. All we really need to do is give in 
to the call of God's grace to bring us closer. Because in the end, we're not created to be autonomous, independent human beings. But we're created as individual human beings for the purpose of friendship. For communion, for deep community with our fellow human beings and the God who created us. We're created for friendship. And the Bible tells this story of God's relentless friendship with us. A story that isn't over, but one that's ongoing here and now with God persistently gathering people into a community of friends by the power of her Holy Spirit. Friends who practice their friendship with God by befriending a world that is alienated and lonely. A world in need of hope. So I pray. I pray, come Holy Spirit. Come our comforter and our friend. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to each other. Remove the superficial veneer from our relationships as a church. Draw us closer in friendship to you, in friendship to Jesus Christ. And through the power of your love, make us friends with each other and the world you love. In Jesus' name, amen.